Good morning, everyone. It's a joy to be here with you today. And I'm Nayaswami Mantra Devi. This is Nayaswami Krishna Das. So it's nice we also are doing service in person. It's a joy for us all. So I'm going to read from Rays of the One Light by Swami Kriyananda. It's, it's, um, today it's We Are Children of the Light. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. It is common for people to perceive themselves according to their present realities. A person in ill health says, I am ill. Few say, I am well, it is my body that is suffering. People in a low income bracket say, I am poor. Only the unusual person will say, though outwardly I live in poverty, inwardly I am wealthy. Thus, when it comes to moral and spiritual development, people commonly identify themselves with their weaknesses and their mistakes. They consider it almost a sign of humility to say, I am a sinner. Though in effect, what this means is that they identify themselves with their um, sinfulness, not with the soul's power to transcend all limitations to God. The great masters, including Jesus Christ, have always emphasized the divine potential of mankind. To encourage us, they address us as children of light, not of darkness. The Bible, in the Gospel of St. John, past chapter 3, makes the point that our true home is not the mud of this earth, but the light of heaven. No man hath ascended up to heaven, it tells us, but him that came down from heaven. This passage continues, even so, the Son of Man who is in heaven, emphasizing that Jesus, though he lived on earth, is perceived by the eye of wisdom as conscious, even in human form, of his true identity in heavenly spheres. The way to know God is to live in godly consciousness and not to bewail our imperfection and our distance from God. Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And the Bhagavad Gita states, Seekers of union with the Lord find him dwelling in their own hearts. But those who, lacking in wisdom, um, seek him with impure motives cannot perceive him however much they struggle to do so. If you want to know God, Paramahansa Yogananda said, Live in the thought that you have him already. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Om, Om, Om. I too would like to wish you a very happy Sunday service welcome you all here in person and online. So I wanted to start with a reading. 
we demand of thee as thy children. Thou art our Father, we are made in thine image, we are thy children. We neither ask nor pray as beggars, but demand of thee as thy children the gifts of wisdom, salvation, health, happiness, and et eternal joy. Whether naughty or good, we are still thy children, all of us. Help us to perceive and understand inwardly thy will for us. Teach us the independent use of our human will, since thou gavest it to us to use freely, attuned to thy wisdom-guided will. So we are children of the light. It's something that is uh, a true, it's true, but how much do we really feel it or identify with it on a daily basis? Now we, that's our sadhana, isn't it? To tune into this light and realize it and let it permeate our consciousness and move from that light. Um, so it smacks at the very heart of, of yoga uh, the teachings of yoga is to keep keeping that uppermost in our consciousness and asking, like, who are we? Who are we in reality? As the festival says, what end are we made for? Um, I was thinking of the, uh, the caterpillar in Alice in Wonderland when Alice came uh, upon him, and he said, who are you? He kept asking that same question, who are you? I think he was uh, a gyani. Um, and uh, so how would we answer that? Again, the yoga teachings, uh, that's what the art and science of yoga is all about, isn't it? It's identifying and realizing who and what we really are, that we are children of the light, we are children of God, that is our true reality, and that we are not this bundle of self-identification, self, uh, sort of, usually, what is considered to be untrue, and lim the limited self, that we are not these bodies, these bodies change, look in, look in the mirror, look at a picture of yourself, just five years ago, maybe one year ago, very different, right? You look at, at uh, uh, your thoughts. You know, what you think now is very different than what you thought 10 years ago, five years ago. As Christ says, you could change in the twinkling of an eye. So we aren't these thoughts. We aren't our passing emotions. We are the soul. And that soul, identified with God, not the body, liberates us. And that's, and that's what our path is all about, isn't it? Unfolding into that deeper and deeper realization and liberated state. I was, uh, so, and th those thoughts we think are, are powerful, very important, and we need to be on that all the time. You know, and not let the, our habits and the, the the Maya of this world, creation, pull us down. I remember years ago, Swami Satchitananda in 
and Swami Kriyananda. They were beautiful, had a beautiful friendship there. I used to love the, to watch them together. There was such a joy. They were both just bubbling with joy, and I think it brought it even out more when they were together. And uh, Swami Satchitananda was doing a program in Sacramento, so we all went. And uh, I remember in those days, you know, the electricity, the electrical, um, I know systems were a little uh, primitive, I guess, for bumping up against new technology. Anyway, so they were, because uh, we, we had the same problem, when they were trying to project him uh, with the sound, there was a problem. So I, their sound man came up and said, um, Swamiji, the light, the, the sound is affecting the light. No, no, the light, the light of electricity. The light is affecting the sound. The light is affecting the sound. So we were having trouble um, hearing him. And so uh, we had that same problem in, in San Francisco when at an event that we were doing for Swami. Uh, there was a 60-cycle hum or something on it. But anyway, I remember Satchitananda, he's known for his wit. He, was, he was just kept repeating, the light is affecting the sound. The light is affecting the sound. The light is affecting the sound. So those two are very connected. It's the ohm, right? So what we're thinking, what we're thinking is affecting our consciousness and how we're able to tune into God's consciousness. So it's very important for us to be aware of our thoughts at all times. Now, this light, being children of the light, you know, in, sort of like uh, in Christianity, you, in some ways you think it's more of a symbolism or analogy, and uh, you say, see the light, and it means you, you've woken up to deeper truth or whatever. And I remember I was very blessed to, um, to have this experience of a near-death experience, and I wanted to share it with you. I uh, fell back and hit my head very hard, and it sent me uh, into into this into this tunnel, right? And so I remember when I first entered the tunnel, there was uh, there was a, a feeling that my father was present, who died at an early age, when I was 14. And a friend of mine that also, I, I love this little boy, he was a, he's like my little brother, and he, he got run over by a car. And uh, I missed him very much, and he was there as well. I remember feeling their consciousness. But as I was and entered this tunnel, I could see at the end of the tunnel, there was a very brilliant, bright, beautiful, white light. And it was so bright and so beautiful that I wanted to go into that light. There was no resistance, only that I was feeling uh, resistant or hesitant because I felt shame. I felt guilt about, because I remember the experience very vividly till this day. It happened when I, I had first gotten into yoga, and I'd been into yoga for about six months and was shedding off many of the vices and lots of things that were no longer needed or useful. And uh, so I, I had a, a very uh, deep and profound change in my consciousness and in my life. But this came right after that. And uh, like I said, the light was so brilliant and so beautiful. And, and uh, 
as I wanted to go into it, I was hesitant because of these thoughts of shame and guilt, and I kept thinking, forgive me, forgive me, you know? Because this light was so revealing, and the rays were like streaming towards me and like going through me. And, uh, and I have to say, there was a, the being at the heart of this light was uh, a male, more of a he consciousness. So as I was having these thoughts, from the light came this very strong uh, message transmitted kind of into my consciousness. It said, there's nothing to forgive. You were never judged. And that was so beautiful. It wasn't just the words, but imbued in those words was unconditional love. Unconditional love. The father, the mother, our true parents, the light, the love. There's no judgment. Doesn't matter what we've done. That's our baggage. And that baggage, why it's bad or wrong, is because it separates us from the light, from the love. It separates us from feeling our true identity as a child of God, as a child of the light. So having felt that unconditional love, the resistance evaporated in an instant, and I just wanted to go into the light. So I was streaming down this tunnel. And while I'm going into, this, into the light, the, I remembered this third salient point, the brilliant, bright, beautiful light that Master said is an otherworldly light. It's brighter than a thousand million suns. That's, that's why it's so beautiful. And, um, and the unconditional love. But the third one was, I was um, kind of like in, in today's verbiage, downloaded. I was being downloaded, all the mysteries of the universe. It's like I'm going into, this, into the light and I'm, and I'm thinking, oh yes, yes, of, of course. You know? And it wasn't I was asking what came first, the chicken or the egg. <laughs> I wasn't asking these things. I wasn't asking really anything, but it was this, this direct transmission of information that was just like um, uh, removing all doubt of, of anything. It was, it, was, uh, it was wonderful, but it wasn't like when I came back, I could, you know, MC equals whatever. You know, <laughs> I couldn't like start spouting off all of these, uh, the, the, the answers or the, or the, the mysteries. Um, I think it was an intuitive, an intuitive connection that what I came away with was the truth of that we are, uh, you know, children of God. And I came out of that so with such a beautiful feeling. It wasn't my time to go, obviously. And uh, I didn't sleep for three days. I didn't eat. I was just like, I felt like I was big as this temple. Um, I didn't need any material, you know, sustenance. I was just full. 
And, uh, but that evening I was sitting there, and this was in Ohio, and, and at this ranch I was at, there was a big cornfield. I was just sitting that evening out there in, in this cornfield. I was just looking up at, at this, this planet, because it was so bright it had to be a planet. And uh, there wasn't a lot of stars shining in, the, in Ohio at that, that time, at that time of year. But I was just looking up at it and thinking how beautiful it was, you know. And everything was beautiful at that time, following that experience. Uh, and this voice came into my head, unmistakably just as vivid and clear as I'm talking to you now. And it, and it was the Father again. And he said, why do you continue to live the way you do? I've given you yoga. I've given you the key to life. That got my attention. <laughs> I had a few vices kind of hanging around the sides, you know. And, uh, but you know, isn't it interesting how, like when, when Swami gives a talk, you're listening, and each one of us, that same thing, that same point he made, we connected to it, maybe a little differently. That's why when we leave, you know, he says, what did Swami say in the talk? And, and you try to relate that to someone, and, and you'd give maybe a whole different explanation than the, than the person sitting right next to you, you know. And that's what a true teacher, a true channel for God does, is, you know, lets the God, the Master come through and just intuitively hitting each one of us as to what we need. So I knew what that meant. Um, some of it pretty obvious, some of it more esoteric. But uh, that's when I became a real zealot. And uh, I just was into yoga, just full bore, you know, became a fanatic. That's all I talked about. And then for the next two years, I went very deep into it. And, uh, and then I met Swami Kriyananda in Houston at a, when he came on his joy tour. And I always felt like that was my embryonic journey from the, from the time I picked up that first yoga book to the near-death experience to, uh, to meeting him. I, I was ready then, kind of to be born again, you might say, and uh, Master was ready to call. But it's not so much, um, I just wanted to say, you know, whether you've had one of those or not, it's the, still the same for each and every one of us, isn't it? You know, we're all children of God, children of the light, and we were all called unmistakably, or you wouldn't be sitting here, my master, and, we, and you were ready. And now he's given you the key to life, he's given you yoga, Kriya yoga, uh, and uh, it's just a few more ticks on the clock, and we are free and we're out of here. But we need to live in that consciousness now, don't we? It's not the path predisposes distance. Isn't that what it's as described? It's now, the eternal now, living in God right now. So we have our sadhana for that. We have our sadhana for that. Um, so I wanted to, oh, oh, and then when I got to the village, I moved to the village shortly after meeting Swami. Um, like within six months I was living here, and I had met a friend, 
And uh, I, I told him that story because that was <clears throat> very prevalent uh, at the time on my consciousness. And he said, oh, you had a near-death experience. And I never, knew what, I never knew what that was. And he handed me this book, Life After Life, by <clears throat> Dr. Moody, <clears throat> who uh, he's the one that put it together from his patients and clients, each telling him sort of a similar story. And he sort of knitted it together. All of them, had, there was a light, there was a being, unconditional love, and so on. <clears throat> and uh, and so I don't know if he coined that phrase. I, perhaps he did. But uh, then that's when I realized, oh, it was a real thing. Each person thought <clears throat> it was a dream or that they imagined, you know, imagined it. And now we know, you know, dozens and dozens of books written on that subject, and many people have had it. And uh, which is a wonderful thing at this time, because we're ready for this, much more of this kind of thing. Years ago, if you expressed something like that, you'd be burned at the stake, or you would be excommunicated. Now it's, you know, this kind of information is so much more f uh, available and free to, to share. So I, I wanted to share a couple other uh, salient points of the, of the reading today, which... Um, is very interesting, you know, when you keep coming around to these topics. One is, uh, when we die, we go into the astral world. You know, we, we drop our physical, let's see where I have it. We drop our physical uh, form. I want to read Swami's direct words. I think Master wants me to, to just tell you. Oh, here it is. Um, he says, in, an, in the expanded readings of, this, of today, this topic today, when in death he abandons his earthly form, he goes on living in his astral body, in the astral world. Now, we all know that. There he continues to experience whatever predominant state of consciousness he created for himself on earth. So we, we shed the form and we just slip into the astral world very much the same as who we are with the predominant consciousness that we have at that, at that time. The major difference between the astral world and this world is that there his awareness is no longer limited by a physical form and that it expands. Whatever he experiences is, is no longer in... Uh, a cocoon of matter. Whatever he experiences after death of happiness or misery is consequently intensified. You know how you read these readings and, you know, and uh, I've said this before, like you're reading, and one line will kind of bold itself and it catches your attention. Then you, you read it another day and another line bolds itself. That bolded itself for me this time. Now that's about as close as we get to hell and brimfire you know, that how we're living now is what we're going to experience in the astral world. And, and whatever it is, it's intensified. So if it's happiness, wonderful. It's going to be so much more happy. But if we identify, that's why it's very important at the time of death, you have the right consciousness. We prepare for death daily, they say. You have the right consciousness so that when you make the transition, you are thinking the right thoughts, and you're identifying with the right true self. Because you slip into the astral world, 
and it's all going to be much more intensified. And I don't want to list our foibles and weaknesses and faults, and you, you, ha- you could think of your own, but don't stay there. <laughs> Those, that's part of the limited self. That's something we do not want to identify with, and we have to practice that now so that we don't have that in our consciousness when we, when we transition, so we can just go into the light. Now, God is so forgiving and so merciful. It's what I love about these teachings and Master's translations of the, the Bible and the Gita. We wouldn't even, no man ascends to heaven that didn't come down from heaven, the reading says. Now, you know, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Master, for his ex- explanation of that. that. That's where we came from. That's our home. That's our eternal home. That's where we're going. If we live right and live the highest that we possibly can, and we know what that is, we know what that is. We will go into very high states of the astral world and enjoy the bliss of our nature and not be held down by anything. So another salient point of this reading that, that caught my eye is um, the, uh, what it says in the, uh, the Gita, the Gita reading, where it says, Seekers of union with the Lord find him dwelling in their own hearts, but those who lacking in wisdom seek him with impure motives, cannot perceive him however much they struggle to do so. I thought, wow, impure motives. And I read that before, but I never really thought about it. I I mean, I wasn't sure what those impure motives would be. You know, um, when Solomon had a dream that God spoke to him, Uh, He said, what shall I give thee? And Solomon said, "Um, an understanding heart. And then God said, because you didn't ask the life of your enemy or riches or health, I'm going to give you an understanding heart, which is an intuitive perception. And I'm also going to give you health and wealth. He didn't say he was going to give him the life of his enemy, though. Um, at least it wasn't mentioned in that passage. So for us, what are these impure motives? So again, I thank our guru for his wonderful explanation of these things, because I don't know, let, you know, where does your mind go with impure motives? It is simply, not simply, because it is profound, that it says in, a, in another Gita interpretation that those with unabated zeal, ignoring temptations of the senses, and with humility, find the indweller. So that has to be accompanying our sadhana in in our life, our our daily life, and our, our thoughts permeating our consciousness, that we need to approach. Now, it starts right off with Patanjali's Ashtanga Yoga, that the yamas and the niyamas, those are very important. The yamas and the niyamas. Now, we know that you don't perfect those and then you go to asana and then pranayama. It's all, uh, you're, you're kind of going, otherwise we wouldn't even sit to meditate, would we? No, you, you sit to meditate and you get a taste of peace and you get a taste of your oneness with God and with all beings, all sentient life. You don't want to kill. You don't want to be harm, uh, you know, do someone harm. 
That's a natural state and outpouring of your heart's love for that you're feeling. So we get meditating and then, but then we have to clean up our samskaras, you know, and those, those yamas, you know, uh, harmlessness and uh, non-greed, covetousness, you know, and they're all just guiding us because you can't feel fulfilled and happy if you're looking at your neighbor's boat and wish you had one or thinking he shouldn't even have it because for whatever reason, you know. Um, but anything that you want, not even if someone else is just, that maybe not be, that isn't yours presently, uh, is, a, is a feeling of lack. So it diminishes us feeling full, feeling whole. So these yamas and niyamas are very important. But these impure motives, he just goes on to say that, yes, moral conduct is very important. It's essential. And it's outlined in the yamas and niyamas. But the translation is simply this. Practice yoga and meditation with deep interest and devotion. That's uh, anything other than that are impure motives. Impure meaning it's, it's not containing your sincerity and your, you know, your dynamic interest in doing this. And also your pure, pure love, your devotion, is why you're doing it, because you want to commune with God. And that's the only reason we're doing it. That is the only reason we're doing all this. So Master, in many, you know, gives us these teachings in many different ways. He said... Intensity is everything. Intensity of awareness. Be intensely aware of everything you do. Be intensely aware of everything you do. So that's what that passage was basically saying. Impure motives, lacking in deep interest and devotion. So when we come uh, to our asan, your, your meditation seat, you know, and we sit down and we do some chanting, mentally perhaps, because we want to get straight, centered. Mantradevi and I have been learning some sign language, and uh, I love the one for fine, like I, fine. <laughs> the spine is straight, energy going up the, up the spine, Fine. But uh, so, you know, go into the sadhana, go in, living our life. We have to be, do it with deep sincerity and, and, and deep devotion. And that's when we will uh, get the benefit or the result we're looking for. That's what it just simply says. Those with impure motives, they don't get the benefits that they're really seeking. So it behooves us. And, uh, and we're very busy, and, we're, and our energy lags, and we don't always approach it that way. Uh, we were given the energization exercises. You know, We were giving our practices to get through all of this. Um, the, the, uh, the effects of our busy lives. So I wanted to just end with a beautiful reading 
from, again, from Whispers from Eternity, a poem of masters. I closed my eyes and saw the skies of dim, opalescent infinity spread round me, the gray chariot of the dawn of awakening, decked with lights, giving subtle vision, came and took me away. I zoomed through space, bored through the mysterious ether, passed through age-hidden spiral nebulae, and soared willy-nilly on and on, left, right, north, south, above, below. I found no landing, but going into distracting tailspins, I spun through limitlessness. I whirled through eternal banks of lights until bit by bit my chariot melted into the, that all-transmuting flame. My body melted in that purifying fire. My thoughts melted in that consuming blaze, and my feelings all became pure liquid light. We are children of that light.